0: I want to invite you to go to your bibles go to genesis chapter 32 genesis chapter 32 this morning um, before most of you were awake i was texting a pastor friend of mine who pastors in nashville and we were talking about the day talking about what we're each preaching on and he said hey i'm preaching on david and Bathsheba." to which i responded have fun with that good luck we may get there i preached i actually preached on that story one time in college uh, for a preaching class and the professor ripped it apart so bad i, I never went back to that text again to preach on it <laughs> so if i ever preach on it again you will know i have overcome amen but i said to him i'm preaching on i'm preaching on jacob when he wrestled with the lord and he said oh that's one of my, one of my favorites i he said, I preached on that story at least once a year. And I told him, I said, you know, I've been preaching for 22 years, which is crazy that I'm old enough to have done anything besides sleep for 22 years, right? And he said, I said, I don't think I've ever preached on Jacob when he wrestled with the Lord. I said, I've preached on Abraham. I've preached on Isaac. I've preached on Joseph. I've preached on Moses. I've preached on David. I've, <clears throat> I've preached on Daniel. I've preached on Saul. Preached all about these people, but I don't think I've ever once, apart from just referencing Jacob in a sermon, preached specifically on Jacob. And so today, this is fresh, y'all. You getting you getting the first timer right here. Never been here before. Uncharted waters for me. Well, except for first service. We'll just pretend they didn't. They don't exist. <laughs> except for those of you who are back. Genesis chapter thirty-two. I want to start with verse number. 22, and this is what the Bible says. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons. Can somebody in the room shout drama for me? Man, that's rough. We got a family of five, and we can barely keep it together sometimes, I feel like. His two wives, two servant wives, his 11 sons, and he crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. No no people, no stuff, no possessions, just Jacob and eventually the Lord. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and he wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and he wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go, for dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. What is your name, the man said. He replied, Jacob. He says, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel. This is the first time in your Bible that this name is given to us, Israel. He goes on and it says, Because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Verse 29, Please tell me your name, Jacob says. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God, for he said, I have seen God face to face. Yet my life has been spared. Verse 31, the sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping. Everybody say the word limping. He was limping because of the injury to his hip. Now, verse 32, I don't know about your Bible. I don't know if you're looking at a Bible or if you're looking at the screen, but in my Bible, this is in parentheses, verse 32. The reason why it is in parentheses is because whoever wrote the book of Genesis added this in as a supplementary note for us to understand. And I'll get to that in a little bit. But it says, even today, the people of Israel do not eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. I want to preach to you a message today that I'm going to call Embrace the Limp embrace the limp, father I am grateful for your word I'm grateful today that we are able to worship in the freedom and the power of your Holy Spirit I pray that over the next few moments God that as you have been that you will continue to be noticeably present among us that God that you would through your anointing through your spirit through your power bring out of us the things that we don't want people to know about. The things that if they were discussed publicly would bring us shame or bring us pain. Not so God that we can point them out and mock them or laugh at them but Lord so that you can touch them. So that you can put your finger on them even if they cause us to limp a little bit. So that you can heal. In Jesus' name, in life house said, Amen. Amen. Come on, one more time. Can we praise the Lord? <clears throat> amen. Thanks, Jared. All right. I'm ready to go, you guys. Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. Now, remember, a few weeks ago, we talked about Abraham and and Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac married a lady named Rebecca, who, um, and then he's back. There he goes. Scared me there. Are, we, are you ready for the altar call? Okay, good. Jared's not gonna be my friend after calling him out like that. Everybody give it up for Jared. He did a great job on keys today. <laughs> Jacob, grandson of Abraham son of Isaac, nephew of a man named Laban, and the younger twin brother of a man named Esau. Their story begins, really, in Genesis chapter 25. Now, Jacob's story starts in the the weirdest of ways. And can I just tell you, I appreciate how weird the Bible is sometimes. Because, let's just be real, life is weird, right? Right? I appreciate how messy the Bible is, not, not, not my Bible, my Bible is pristine, but I'm talking about the stories that it tells and the people that it discusses, such as David and Bathsheba, if you know that story, such as Jacob and his life that we're going to unpack today, because my life and your life and our lives are messy. I mean, none of us can look at our life and look at our story and no one in this room can say about themselves, the right thing has always happened to me and I've always done the right thing. Uh, life is messy and if we're being very honest about it, it's often rather weird, right? How things turn out. And so I love that And the story when Jacob is born, it says that as he's coming out of the womb, he's got a twin brother Esau who was just born right before him. And it says as he's coming out of the womb that Jacob is holding on to Esau's heel. And so they look at Jacob holding on to Esau's heel. And they say, I'm just kind of guessing this is how it went. They say among themselves, oh, well, you know, look at that heel grabber. And, and so they think through these different words that sound like heel grabber. And they say, oh, Jacob, we'll call him Jacob, just like we named his brother Esau because he was born with a bunch of red hair. And that, and Esau sounds like red hairy man or something like that. And so we're going to call him Esau. The, let's, just go, let's just say it like this. They would have done well if there was a book of baby names in that era. But they didn't have that, so they just went off of what they had, right? And so Jacob is born grabbing a hill, and so they call him Jacob, which sounds like hill grabber, or another word that it also sounds like is deceiver. And and I think about that that moment. And and our youngest, Magnolia, when she was born, it was a very traumatic experience for me mostly, but, but also a little bit for Kristen, who's not in the room, and I can talk about this right now. And, and Magnolia was born, she actually was born with the umbilical cord wrapped around her neck several times. It was, it was, not a, it was, a, it was a rough you know, few moments there, but praise the Lord, everything turned out okay. But because of the umbilical cord being wrapped around her neck, she actually uh, suffered a little bit of, uh, of loss of oxygen. And so her body had kind of this blue tint to it, but especially her extremities especially her hands, they were as blue as blue could be and they were that way for several weeks actually well after she was born and health was perfectly normal and everything was okay but but the kind of logic that they seem to have when it comes to naming people would, would be similar to me looking at Magnolia 's hands and saying you know what we 're going to call you smurphalanges that's going to be your name because you have blue fingers right and we 're going to call you I mean like I really thought hard on that so I appreciate I hope you appreciate the Attempted at ridiculous humor there. But that's the, the logic. And so, and here's the thing that happens with names and labels. Especially when they are placed on us at young ages. Is that we tend to grow into them. We, we tend to become what is spoken over us. And so, as life goes on, Jacob would manipulate Esau into selling him his birthright as firstborn or just a bowl of stew. Now, now, there's another great sermon here that we could preach. We could camp out on the moment when, when Esau comes in and he's so hungry and he sees Jacob making some stew because Esau was the hunter and, and Jacob was the homemaker and Esau was hungry. And he said, if you don't give me some of that food, I'm going to die right here and right now. And, and Jacob says, well, sell me your birthrights. Almost sounds like he's joking, like he's being sarcastic. And then Esau says, okay, whatever. It's not going to be any good to me if I'm dead. And so we could preach about how Esau valued instant gratification over long-term results, right? But we're not going to do that today. We'll do that later. I'll let Holly preach that sermon. You ready for that, Holly? All right, next week. Everybody give it up for Holly. She's doing that. And then a little bit later in his life, Jacob is convinced by his mother, hey, I want you to pretend to be Esau so you can steal the blessing of the firstborn from Esau. Isaac, my husband's old and blind, put some uh, goat hair on your arms and walk in and try to talk with a deeper voice. Like, I I can't do it, (laughs) I've tried, and and pretend to be Esau and then get, get his blessing, and and so he does that. So he, he begins to live into this identity of not being known as a deceiver. And after he does that, understandably so, Esau is upset. And Jacob runs for his life. He goes to his uncle Laban's home where he is for a while and he meets this beautiful woman named Rachel. And he goes to Laban and he says, hey, I know she's my cousin, but this is Old Testament times and it's not weird can I marry my cousin? Come on guys, this is hilarious, right? Okay. And uh, don't do that today, okay? Um, And so he goes to Uncle Laban and he says, hey, can I marry my cousin Rachel? And Laban says, of course, why not? And then there's a wedding and it's beautiful and it's wonderful, but apparently it wasn't very well lit and Rachel and 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 uh, Jacob go to the to, to the tent to do whatever married people do after they get married, and and then Jacob wakes up in the morning and finds out that it's not Rachel, it's her ugly older sister Leah. Sorry, Leah. I know there's Leah. You're not. Good. Yeah, you're great though. You're wonderful. Thanks for running the camera this morning. Everybody give up for Leah. I think it's spelled different though, right? Yeah, it is. Okay, good. So I'm off the hook. All right. And so, I mean, it just makes you really appreciate Thomas Edison and Benjamin Franklin and electricity and light bulbs, right? Because uh, we can see now. And so, so Jacob not only is a man who deceives, he is a man who has been deceived. And time goes on, right? And he deceives his uncle. And, and here we have this situation where Jacob is now traveling back to his homeland where Esau still is. And Esau gets word that Jacob and his whole family are on their way back home. And and, and Jacob knows Esau is coming. And so this is where we are at in the story. Jacob's on his way back, and he sends his family. He sends his wives. He sends all his possessions across the river ahead of him. And it's just him and the Lord, and there's a wrestling match with God. Now, I want to rewind a little bit. There's something that is also important that you need to know about Jacob's life. In Genesis 28, on his way to Uncle Laban's home, well before this ever happens, he goes to sleep on a rock. The Bible says he lays his head down on a rock and he goes to sleep. He must have been really tired to put his head on a rock and go to sleep. I'm just saying. And he goes to sleep and he has a dream or a vision. We today, when we refer to it, we call it the, the vision of Jacob's ladder And in this vision, the Lord begins to speak to him. And this is what he says in Genesis chapter 28, verse 14. He he starts by repeating the promise that was given to his grandfather Abraham. And he says, your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. And then verse 15 kind of takes a little bit of a transition and the Lord starts his sentence by saying, what's more? In other words, what is happening is not only am I promising you what I promised to Abraham, but in fact, I have a special promise for you that goes above and beyond what I promised Abraham. And he says, what's more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. Now, remember where we are when we opened in Genesis 32. He is on his way back to that land. Is everybody following me geographically and historically in the moment? It says, one day I will bring you back to this land. And the Lord says, I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised for you. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I've promised you. And then verse 16, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. I, I, I want to I take a moment, and I want to ask you, Where in your life can you look back and say with confidence, The Lord is? Was in this place. The Lord was in that place. And I wasn't even aware of it. Because, you know, it's so hard sometimes in the moment of trial, in the moment of difficulty, in the moment of problems, in the moment when when things are hard, to remember or to even see that in the middle of the difficulty of the moment, the Lord is here in this place. And it is usually and not until we get some distance from that moment, and then we are able to look back and say, oh God, I see what you did there. I couldn't see it then, but now I see your hand all over that situation that I went through. And and, and, and even in the middle of the moment that some of you may be going through today, it is difficult to see that the Lord is in that place. But my friend, I promise you, no matter how bleak it feels, no matter how dark the surroundings are, wherever you are and whatever you are going through, the Lord is in that place as well. You know, I, I remember as a 12-year-old kid and, 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 and not feeling very good about myself, not enjoying the reflection I saw in the mirror, not feeling a lot of love from the people who should have made me feel the most love. And I remember as a 12-year-old kid just feeling like I was lonely, I was abused, I was forsaken, I was forgotten. But I, at 38 years old, can look back to that 12-year-old. I was so bad I could go back and tell him, hey, buddy the lord is in this place. I know you don't see it. I know you don't feel it, but you just hang on. You just hold on. The lord is with you. I remember at 14 years old when I was in the morgue of a hospital in the basement of a hospital and I looked at the body of my deceased father and I thought to myself, "Oh man, how am I going to make it? What are we going to do? I'm the only I'm the man of the house now. How is this going to work out?" And, I, and and being so scared and so confused and so worried and so heartbroken, but I wish I could go back to that 14-year-old kid and tell him, "Hey buddy, the Lord is with you. The Lord is in this place. You may not know it. Hey, let me preach for a little bit. I wish I could go back to that 15 year old kid. Can I just be a little vulnerable with you in this moment? Can I just be a little transparent with you in this moment? I wish I could go back to that 15 year old kid who had made up his mind to take his own life with his hunting rifle. Because he said, There's no hope, there's no point, there's no future. I wish I could go back to that kid, put my arm around his shoulder and say, hey, I know it's hard, but it will get better because the Lord is in this place right now. I wish I could go back to that 16-year-old kid who had just given his life to Jesus and was about to pick up one of these little microphones right here and and preach a sermon, I wish I could go back to that kid and say, Hey, you stay humble, you stay faithful, and you let the Lord produce the results. Because the Lord is in this place. I wish I could go back. I wish I could go back to that 19-year-old kid who was a sophomore in college in a state that he's never lived in with a bunch of, around a bunch of people he didn't know anyone. When he met the when when he met the the tall blonde volleyball player girl who had a crush on his roommate. I mean, nobody that you may know. And and I wish I wish I could tell him, hey man, I know you feel lonely. I know you feel discouraged. I know you can't see that there's a future for you, but the Lord is in this place. And you might want to go talk to her a little bit more. I, I, wish, I wish I could go back to the 27-year-old in the, in the child delivery room holding my firstborn and looking down at this precious, beautiful little girl, hoping and wondering and asking myself, can I be to her the father that I wish I had had? Can I be to her the father that I wish I had had? And I wish I could put my arm around him and say, hey, buddy, the Lord is in this place. You hold on, man. It's, go, it's only going to get better from here. I wish I could go back to the 32-year-old self walking around this property and not a lot of people here. And asking myself, asking the Lord, asking different people, can God move in Oak Ridge? Can the Lord move in Lifehouse? I wish I could go back to that, to that person just a few years ago, and say, hey, this is going to be good. The Lord's in this place. I don't know, I don't know what's going on in your life. Maybe, maybe you have went through a divorce. Maybe there's a situation where your body isn't acting right. Maybe the doctor has called you. Maybe maybe you are the product of abuse. Maybe when you were a child, someone sexually took advantage of you, and that has carried with you through the entirety of your life. I, I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know exactly where you've been, but I can promise you of one thing, and I know it doesn't feel like it, but listen to somebody who, who's been through some stuff himself. Even when it doesn't look like it, even when it doesn't feel like it, whether it was 30 years ago or whether it was 30 seconds ago, the Lord is in that place. Lord is in. The, come on, can we praise him for a moment? He told Jacob, God said to Jacob that he would not leave him until he had finished giving him and doing in him everything he had promised. For him. I want to tell you today that even in the moments of your life that brought you the greatest pain that you've ever experienced, the Lord was in that place and, it, and he was trying to get your attention and look at you and tell you, hey, I know this is awful. I know this isn't fair. I know this isn't right. But if you will just hold on to truth, if you will just continue to trust me, I will show you how that even in the darkest of situations, my power is able, my love is able to bring something good out of even the worst of situations, that, that, that even in the moments when you messed up, and how many of you, it's not always what someone's done to you. Sometimes it's what you've done to you, right? The Lord would say, hey, I know you dropped the ball. I know you messed up, but guess what? My grace is so much better at forgiving than you are at sinning. That even in the moment when you felt weak and, and you felt like you couldn't handle it, you couldn't do it, that, that his strength, The word tells us, and the Lord would tell you, hey, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. In fact, Paul would even say that when I am weak, that's to my benefit, because that's when I stop trying to do it myself, and I start trusting the Lord to do what I can't do. One day, God says, I'm going to show you how every moment of hurt, Every moment of sorrow, every moment of failure, every moment of joy, every moment of mundane nothingness, right? Because isn't that what most of life is, mundane nothingness? But you know in the Lord, nothing is wasted. Nothing is ordinary. Nothing is normal. It's all for Him, to Him. Because every heart, amen, is holy ground. Every moment is holy ground. He's going to say to you, He's going to remind you rather that, hey, I was there, I'm here, and I will be there. One more time. Can we just celebrate the Lord for his presence in our life? He's not going to leave you until he's finished giving you and doing in you everything he has promised for you. I'm going to say that again. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you until and he he's not gonna do any of those things until he has finished giving you and doing in you everything he has promised for you. So there's my introduction to the sermon. You guys okay? All right, I'm just getting started. All right, hold on tight. It'll probably go a little quicker now. Genesis thirty-two, we get back to where we started in Genesis thirty two. This is what it says here in verse twenty two. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servants' wives, his eleven sons. Everybody say it again. So much drama. And he crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all of his possessions. This left Jacob all alone at the camp. No Netflix, no YouTube, no podcast, no Audible, no, no Spotify, no social media, no buddies, no fishing pole even. How sad is that? No, no uh, social media to scroll aimlessly. And, and no doubt in this loneliness, in this solitude that he began to pray, that he began to reflect. He's on his way to reunite with Esau and he's having to come to terms with all that he has done and all that has been done to him. And I just want to pull out one thing right here and just let you know something that's kind of hard to hear but is very true. Many of our problems raise your hand if you've got problems. I can't raise both my feet but I would if I could. Many of your problems are because of what someone else has done to you. Many of your problems are because of what people have done to you. And, and I talk to people, and they're telling me about the anger they feel or the bitterness that they hold on to or the unforgiveness that they, that they harbor. And they would say something like, You just don't know what they did to me. You don't know how much they hurt me. You don't know what they said to me. And those are all very true statements, right? Those are all very true. And I would say, You know, I don't know, but I do know that holding on to it isn't making anything better today. I do know that and so you don't know how they abused me, you don't know what they said, you don't know how badly I've been hurt, all very true things and so a lot of our problems that we deal with on a daily basis are the result of what someone else has done to us but if we're going to be brutally honest with ourselves and if we want to receive all all of the healing that the Lord has for us and to become the men and women of God that he wants us to be, we have to own the fact that while a lot of our problems are the product of what some external force has imposed upon us. Most of our problems are the fault of what we've done to us. I know that's not popular. That's not catchy. You're not going to put that on Facebook probably later today and talk about how good the preaching was on that one and quote me in saying that you, you are your own worst enemy. But the truth of the matter is some of the stuff that we go through, some of the things that we deal with are because of things that we cannot control. But most of the things that we deal with are the product of of us making decisions. It's true. It's true. We choose to isolate. We choose to hold on to anger. We choose to hold on to bit- bitterness. We refuse to forgive. And, and, and instead of addressing pain at, at, the, at the point of the pain, we, we choose to medicate the pain, hoping that we can suppress it, the symptoms of it, and go about daily life and no one will see because of the facade that we've put up. And so, Jacob had to send all of the stuff. I mean, Jacob was a wealthy man. Jacob had a large family. I mean, Jacob's children would become the tribes of Israel. Jacob has received this incredible promise from the Lord. But in order for God to truly deal with all of the stuff that was lodged deep in the heart of Jacob, he had to get rid of all of the layers of protection that he had. From his family, to his friends, to his material possessions. It all had to go to the other side of the river. And he had to be alone. So that just him and the Lord could talk it through. Verse 24 it says this Jacob this left Jacob all alone in the camp and a man came and he wrestled with him until dawn began to break. I just want to say I, I don't know how familiar you are with when you read things about the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament but uh, this is not an angel this is not an ordinary man this is I believe it is Jesus in the flesh pre-incarnation. And so this is, this is God in the flesh, and, and a few verses I think will actually make this very well known to you. So in verse 24 again, this left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and he wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. Verse 25, when the man saw that he would not win the match, this is hilarious to me. I actually put a question mark in my Bible by that sentence, but we'll come back to that in just a moment. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip. And he wrenched it out of socket. Now, my question is, how can the man be too weak to win the match, but so strong to just put his finger on his hip and knock it out of socket? Right? Okay. And so, what is happening here, this is not a true wrestling match. This, this, is, this is something way more intimate and, if I would even say, way more fun. This is good old roughhousing. This is horseplay. Or if you're in the Moorhead home, this is wrestling. Not wrestling. Wrestling is what they do in the Olympics. Wrestling is what we do on Malvern Road, okay? We're wrestling. And I love wrestling with my little girls. I'm I'm a father of three daughters, and yes, we, we wrestle, okay? And sometimes I forget that they've gotten strong and big. And every so often, why do you think I keep going to the gym? It's so I can hang, right? It's, because it's not just one that gets me, it's when they all three team up on me, right? One goes high, one goes low, and one goes right in the middle, right? That's when it gets rough. And so they're, they're horse playing, they're wrestling, and so I got to look in, into this, and I wanted to learn some more about this, and so I used the, uh, the infinite, always uh, infallible resource of Google, who make, never makes mistakes, right? And I started Googling what the benefits are or, or if there are any benefits. And I found out there is scientifically proven benefits to roughhousing chil- for fathers to roughhouse with their children. And this is, this is what I found. Roughhousing with your kids will boost your kids' resilience. Because, in other words, they keep trying to win. They keep coming after you. It gives them a sense of uh, where they don't want to give up. So they keep trying, right? Rough housing, number two, will make your kids smarter because they have to think through the situation of how they're going to take you down or how they're going to pin you or how they're going to whatever, right? Uh, Rough housing builds social intelligence. Rough housing teaches your kids morality because when one of them hurts me, I tell them, hey, that's too far, and then they laugh, and then they do it again. (laughs) And then I say, no, for real, that's too far. And then they learn, okay, that's too far, because they learned a little bit of morality there, right? Uh, Roughhousing gets your kids physically active. Uh, Roughhousing, most importantly, builds the child-father relationship. And I believe, as we read here in Genesis 32, that the Lord is roughhousing with Jacob. I just want you to ponder that thought for a moment. You need to remember that Jacob did not have the greatest father son relationship with Isaac. Isaac favored Esau, but he did not favor Jacob. I, I would venture to say that Jacob and Isaac never roughed house together, right? And in this moment, the Lord is roughhousing with Jacob. He's being close to Jacob. And, and, and here's the thing. It says that when the man saw that he wouldn't win, right? And that's where I wrote my question mark. And I thought, well, that's odd because if this is God, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure he could take Jacob, right? But it's not that he was not able to win. It's that he was, not, or that he was intentionally choosing to use only a small portion of his strength. Because if I wanted to, when I'm wrestling with my kids, I mean, I know we joke about it, uh, but like, you know, I just, I just want the record to show I could win, okay? Okay? I, I could win. I just want everybody to know that. I could win. But in all actuality, I hardly ever do win. And it gives them this feeling of accomplishment and strength because they took daddy down, right? And so, so the Lord is not able to win, he is rather, rather he is choosing not to win. And then just to show him a portion of his strength, he touches his hip and knocks it out of socket. And so we pick up with verse 26. This is what it says. The man said, let me go for dawn is breaking. And Jacob said, I will not let you go. I will not let you go until you bless me. So, this is what I see. This is, this is how I picture it. It's when, it's when my kids, I'm done. Like, anybody ever been there? Dads, I'm done. I'm ready to be. I'm ready. I'm done. Okay. I'm hot. I'm tired. I'm, I'm going to be bruised up. You already, my lips bleeding. You know, like, uh, listen, I've tried to go easy on you, but you elbowed me in the nose. I'm done. But then one of my kids, they, they, they come and they sit on my foot and they grab around my leg and I have to walk like this. That, that is how I picture this moment. The Lord said, let me go. And Jacob said, nah, I'm not done yet. I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And the Lord says this in verse 27. This is, this is the pivotal moment here. The Lord asks him a question. And he says, what is your name? Now, we don't get all of the nuances of this story because it is being recorded after the fact. But I am the one preaching this sermon, so I'm going to preach it how I want to preach it. My gut tells me there was a pause before Jacob responded in answering that question. Number one, because he had to have thought to himself, this is God in the flesh. He knows my name. Why is he asking? Jacob would have probably even thought to himself, you know, I'm not really proud of this name. It was given to me when I was barely born. It reflects something that I don't want to talk about. It it points to the fact that in my life that I have done a lot of wrong things, and I've also been wronged a lot in the area of deception. Why do you want me to talk about that? We were having fun. We were wrestling. And now you want me to talk about my name, Jacob, also known as Deceiver? The Lord says, what is your name? Jacob. Yeah, Jacob. Yeah, I know it sounds a lot like Hill grabber. It also sounds a lot like Deceiver. It was the label that was given to me as a child and... I fulfilled it. Jacob. You gotta you gotta wonder what Jacob must have thought was gonna happen after that. I wonder in my mind, did the did Jacob think that the Lord was gonna hear that and go, Oh, I got the wrong guy, I'm sorry. Let me step back. I thought you were some I thought you were Esau. I thought you were somebody else. Verse 28, the Lord begins to speak, and he says, Your name will no longer be Jacob. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. I love it. The Lord Lord makes Jacob own up to this point of pain in his life. He says, he asks him, what is your name? And it's not because the Lord needs to know his name. It's because Jacob needs to say, okay, here it is. Here's, here's all the cards out on the table. Here's, here's all my problems. Here's all my pain. Here's all the things that have been done to me. Here's all the things that I've done. I know I'm awful. I know I'm worthless. And, and your mind, got, uh, in Jacob's mind, he's got to be thinking to himself, God, why do you want to know this? Why do you want to see this? I mean, you, you know everything anyway. Why do you need to know it? And God, I think, would say to him, it's not that I need to know it. It's that you need to know it. To know that I'm better than this, it's that you need to know that I'm greater than this label. It's that you need to know that your name, even though it was Jacob the deceiver, Jacob the hill grabber, now you're going to be Israel. You're going to be the man who fought with God and men and won. Even more importantly, you're going to be the man who fought with yourself and came out victorious. Because at the end of the day, God will not heal what you continue to hide. It has to be brought out into the light. And Jacob says, tell me your name. Since we're talking about names. And God says, Mm-mm, nope, why do you want to know my name? No big deal. Verse 30. Jacob named the place Benial," which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. You guys Okay. Genesis 32, and starting again in verse 31, the sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel. I mean, there's a lot of imagery being used here to to communicate that this is not just significant of a new day in Jacob's life, but a new season in Jacob's life. The sun is rising. And he was limping because of his injury. He was limping. He was dragging that leg as he walked. He, he, he gets to Rachel and Leah and his 11 sons, and, he, and they go, What happened to you? Why are you limping? You were by yourself. What would you do? Did you fall down? Did you trip over a rock? And Jacob says, No, I had a wrestling match with God. You can just imagine Leah and Rachel are like, they look at each other and go, he's lost it. <laughs> we knew he was crazy, but this proves it. No, no, no. I think he's, he's, he's walking like this, and they say, what happens? And he says, I had an encounter with one who, knew, who knows me and still loves me. I had an encounter that changed me. And I love this verse number 32. It's in parentheses in my Bible. Moses writes the book of Genesis at least 400 years after this moment. This moment is preserved through oral tradition and revelation given to the Lord. And Moses pens these words. And, he, and in my Bible, like I said, it's put in parentheses to communicate to me and to communicate to us that it didn't happen in the moment, but it's being observed after the fact. And it says, even today, even 400 years later, people still do not eat that tendon near the hip socket. By the way, I've never eaten tendons before on purpose, but maybe they did. They, they don't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. Even today, even today. In other words, that limp was so powerful. That encounter was so magnificent that it transcended generations and generations and generations so that many years later people would still remember the moment when Jacob encountered the Lord and it affected not just their lifestyle but their diet. It became something imprinted in their memory remembering the time that Jacob confessed to who he is and God said no more will you be known as a deceiver. No more will you live. Come on help me out Brad. No more will you live on that crutch. Instead you might have a limp but you ain't going to have no crutch for crying out out. you might you might walk a little funny but you ain't going to walk on that crutch of deception anymore i want to tell you something Lifehouse. we have two choices today as we sit in this room our children and the generations that follow us they can inherit our crutches see jacob wasn't limping but he was on a crutch before he had an encounter with the lord his crutch well, was well my name is known as deceiver so i might as well become a deceiver and see, we love, we, we, can I just say it? We love labels. And many of the crutches that we are leaning on today were given to us by people who should have given us a limp, instead, they gave us a crutch. We should have inherited an encounter from them, instead, we inherited an excuse. We inherited a crutch. We inherited a label. We inherited a problem. We inherited pain. Our children, generations that follow us, they can inherit our crutches or they can inherit our limp, our encounter. They can inherit our healing. They can inherit our blessing. You see, we've all got crutches. I would say that most of us in this room have some crutches in our life. Now, here's the thing about crutches. Sometimes they can... Help us get through a season of brokenness. But the thing about crutches is is you're not supposed to be on them forever. Jacob's crutch was that he was labeled a deceiver from birth. His mama made him a deceiver. His family hurt him with deception. And so therefore he just went ahead and embraced a life of getting what he needed and what he wanted. Through deception and manipulation. And then in this moment in Genesis 32, God looks at Jacob and says, tell me, tell me, tell me, show me this crutch, show me this pain, show me this problem. And then it's as if God puts his finger on it and says, listen, you're not going to walk with that anymore. Your name is going to be different. You're going to be defined not by the crutches that you carry, but the encounter that you've experienced. Worship team, will you guys help me out? God changed his name, God changed his identity. And here's the deal. It, it probably wasn't a pleasant process, the hip situation, right? But it was worth it. So I just want to I want to ask you, what, what crutches are you carrying around? What crutches do you lean on today? I want to be very specific. Is that okay? So so maybe maybe. Like I said earlier, we love labels. We live in a culture that is defined by the labels that we can give ourselves and give the people around us so that we can excuse bad behavior and laziness. Now, I want to be very clear. I'm not trying to say that there are not legitimate reasons for sometimes for people to act the way they act or feel the way they feel. Do you hear me? But more times than not, what we find ourselves, we say, you know, we say things, well, like, you know, my Enneagram number says I'm this way, so that's why I act that way. And so we lean on that crutch of being a jerk because we are an Enneagram number 13. That doesn't exist. I figured if I called a real number out, somebody would get offended (laughs) because you you lean on the crutches of insecurity and offense, and you like to hold on to when people hurt your feelings. And so that gives you a reason to be mean and to be rude and to have your guard up and to... And to treat people the way you treat them, because you're worried that if you let them in, they're going to hurt you. So you lean on that crutch of insecurity. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe can, if we can just be a little more close to home. Maybe, you know, you, you're physically unhealthy, and 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 you're you need you need to. Can I just be real? Like you, you've been abusing food because, you know, you've had a bad day. You come home and little Debbie makes it better. Or you've had a great day and you want to celebrate and little Debbie makes that even better, right? And so we're leaning on that crutch, you know, abusing our bodies by the things we're putting in them. Celebrating or, or medicating however we want to do instead of knowing that our body is a temple of the Lord. Meant to, to honor Him and to, and to further the name of Jesus. But we're not treating our bodies right because we don't believe right things about ourselves. And so we lean on the crutch. You know, maybe maybe you're struggling with depression this morning, and instead of wrestling with the Lord about it, you've just accepted it. Oh, you just said, "All oh, this is how it is. My mama was depressed. My daddy was depressed. I'm depressed. They suffered with anxiety. I suffer with anxiety. It's just who I am. I'm just going to live with this crutch the rest of my life. When God would say, no, that crutch wasn't meant for you. I mean, what, what else could you be struggling with? You know, there, there's all the things that we turn to. We turn to pornography when we're not receiving the intimacy that we desire. We turn to Netflix or, or to YouTube or to something else on the TV to just mindlessly make our, our minds numb so that we can forget about reality because we don't want to face the things that we've got going on. You know, maybe maybe you're the kind of person because you don't want to deal with your family or you don't want to deal with your kids or you don't want to deal with your job or you don't want to deal with the emotions that are running through your mind. You go home and you you. Pop an ambient or two and you say, you know what, I'm just going to go to sleep because I don't want to deal with this anymore, maybe you hold on to that crutch of unforgiveness that says I'll never forgive them for what they did to me, they don't deserve it, you know what, that might in a way be true, but you deserve the freedom that comes with forgiveness, people can see the product of our encounter that healed us, freed us, redeemed us, restored us. Our people can see the labels and the excuses that we carry and use as crutches to get through this life. My question. I think the question today, and here's, here's, here's the thing that we have to understand is that this is comfortable. For a lot of people, this becomes a place of comfort and identity. Oh, you know so and so, they went through this, that's why they act that way. You know, my father left me when I was this age, This is, that's why I'm this way. And, and we show people. We pull it out of our back pocket, and we go, "Here, look. This is that's why. That's why I feel this way about that. That's why my attitude's this way. That's why my personality's this way. That's why I'm this. You know, whatever it may be. It's because of this thing. You know, I was I was sexually uh, abused when I was a child. That's why I'm this way. And I want you to understand. I'm not trying to belittle any of those things. Those are huge things, those are big deals and, and, and I'm not making light of them but I am saying that the Lord wants to bring those things out into the open not to embarrass you, not to hurt you but to heal you listen, I've got a lot of crutches I could pass on to my kids and, and truth be told I probably have already passed a few on to them but if I want to pass anything on to them if there's anything in my life I want to give them it's a limp that says to them hey girls I was hurt But i had an encounter it didn't make all the pain go away but it did help me that every time i feel the pain instead of withdrawing or instead of with instead of isolating or instead of pulling out that crutch i go lord thank you so much that you touched me and healed me and helped me i want you to stand with me this afternoon i just wonder if there's anybody in this room today that would say god give me the spirit of jacob That that would say, God, I'm so desperate for you to heal me I'm so desperate for you to help me I'm so desperate for you to forgive me I'm so desperate for you to to make my life have some purpose I'm so desperate for you to give me some strength that God I want to wrestle, that I will wrestle with you and that I will not let go until you bless me I will not let go until you touch me I will not let go until you change me Lord, I'm tired of the labels I'm tired of the crutches I'm tired of the excuses I'm tired of always referring to something that happened way back when that someone else did to me. God, I want my life to be defined by what you've done to me. God, I want my life to be defined by what you've said about me. God, I want my life to be defined not by an encounter I had with an evil person or a mean person or in a moment of heartbreak. God, I want my life to be defined by an encounter that I've had with you so today lifehouse if you've been walking on crutches for way too long and you are sick and tired of the crutches and you would say I want a limp I want an encounter I want to be changed I don't want to hold on to this star man if I if these didn't cost so much I would bust this thing up on the ground but I don't want to replace it but I'm sick and tired of holding on to this like it's some sort of trophy I want to hold on to him I want to hold on to the one that I'm being held by if that's your prayer if that's your heart I want to invite you to come to this altar I want to pray with you that the Lord would heal you that the Lord would free you that the Lord would restore you and that the Lord would redeem all of the evil the enemy has done in your life and he would turn it because that's how good he is to good if that's your heart, please come to the altar right now.